Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, what a privilege it is to be together, to sit under the Word of God, to worship together as we've been doing, to declare hallelujah, praise the one who has set us free. This morning, we have come to the, the climax or the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount. You could summarize the whole sermon in this one verse. I like to think of the Sermon on the Mount as an instruction manual, sort of a, a how-to for Christian living. And just like in any instruction manual, if you skip or you miss a step, the thing that you are building that you're trying to make may not work in the end. You may lose some of its functionality if you miss an important step. And today's topic, it's the equivalent of building a bookcase and forgetting to put in the shelves. Uh, it's still a bookcase, but it uses some of its, loses some of its utility. Missing this piece affects everything that came before and ultimately will affect the finished product. This morning, we've come to that piece in the Sermon on the Mount. The golden rule is something that we're, we're all familiar with uh, as a rule about doing to others as we would like done to us. But for the Christian, it's, it's more than a motto. It's central to our lifestyle, to everything that we do. And that's why we're dedicating a whole sermon just to this one verse. If you've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount with us, You'll know we normally take a couple of verses or a paragraph, a stanza. How many of you have been here for the majority? I think this is the 24th sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have hit the majority of those? Yeah, that's wonderful. So this is kind of the culmination of what we have been learning. It's a challenging rule because we know it so well, uh, and yet we struggle so hard to live it out. This rule routinely seeks to refine, uh, redirect us, to retune us, as, we've been, as we have been saying. And that's why it's good for us to, to sit here on this rule for our sermon this morning, to refocus and reevaluate how we're doing in living out the golden rule. William Barclay, he writes this of the golden rule. With this commandment, the Sermon on the Mount reaches its summit. This saying of Jesus has been called the capstone of the whole discourse. It is the topmost peak of social ethics and the Everest of all ethical teaching. The Everest of ethical teaching. Ethics is, is the study of how one's uh, morals and their principles guide their behavior. So this is that, that capstone piece. And we have these ethical statements in every area of our life. Uh, for example, did you know that in the, the DMV's driver test manual book for 2022, the, one of the questions in that driving manual is, what is the golden rule of driving? That's one of the questions. And the answer is this. The golden rule of driving is to treat other drivers the way you want to be treated. Seems fair enough. I don't know why people miss that one. So the concept isn't foreign to us, both non-believers and believers alike. But what does it mean? Or better yet, what, what does it mean for the Christian? What does it require of us in terms of retuning our hearts? Let's, let's address our call as Christians living in a fallen world as we consider the golden rule. And here it is. This is Matthew seven twelve. The golden rule is this. 
So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Or I put up there as well the Luke reference, do unto others, or do to others as you would have it have them do to you. I think I memorized it in the KJV, so sometimes I throw in unto others. Uh, but regardless, the golden rule functions as this summary of Jesus' teaching on Christian living and ethics. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching to a saved people, his disciples, and he's telling them how they should organize their lives and their lifestyle. It isn't a message about how to get saved, but how a saved people live. And so if we return to our driver's education uh, example by way of analogy, it's as if to say the golden rule is like the, the driving lessons that prepares you to become a better driver. It doesn't give you the license. That's something different. It doesn't save you. It trains you. My wife and I uh, recently lived in Ireland for three years, and I had to do driver's education twice because over there they didn't um, take my Canadian license right away, so I had to do driver's ed again. Um, but as I started that, at my very first lesson, there was a bit of a miscommunication with my instructor. He thought it was just a, a refresher, as if I'd been doing it. He didn't realize that over there they drive on the other side of the road, also known as the wrong side of the road, and about 95% of vehicles over there are manual. It's very hard to find an automatic car. That's why my license wouldn't travel, because Canadian licenses are automatics, and unless you take it on standard. And over there, they're all manual cars. So he showed up for my first lesson, and I, I hopped in the, the passenger's seat. Actually, it was the driver's seat. I didn't realize it was the other side. So I was in the driver's seat, ready to go. I managed to get the car started. I put in the clutch. I'd seen Fast and Furious, so I wasn't too out of place. <laughs> I pulled down to the end of our road, and then he had me take a left. But where we were living, if you take a left at the end of our road, it takes you straight on to the A55 motorway, which is a very fast highway that goes around the city of Belfast. And so I hopped right on that road, and I was in the wrong lane, of course, because I was expecting the left lane to be the passing lane. So I was staying in the right lane. Of course, that was the fast lane. And... Even though I had never driven a clutch before, I still instinctively thought I should use my right hand to shift. But because it's on the other side of the car, it kind of looked like this. So I got into trouble there as well. So in this instance, the golden rule actually didn't apply because as much as I wanted to treat other drivers properly, I was just trying to keep myself and this poor, terrified little Irishman next to me alive. <laughs> but driver's ed, the golden rule, it seeks to train us and to teach us in the way we should go. It's about how a saved people should live. Christians are to do to others what they would like done to them. And that leaves no room for an error of interpretation as it sets a new high bar on Christian living, one that requires the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and being in a body, a local body and gathering, a community of believers. So as we discuss this verse this morning, we're going to ask the following three questions. First, why was the golden rule so revolutionary when Jesus gave it? Secondly, how does the golden rule relate to the Old Testament? And third, why is the golden rule so hard to live out in practice? We'll actually spend most of our time on that last question. Uh, any preacher will tell you your three main jobs are to read the text, explain the text, and apply the text. 
In this case, the reading and explaining is self-explanatory. We all know the golden rule, but applying it becomes difficult. So we'll spend the majority of our time there. First, as we consider why the golden rule was so revolutionary when Jesus gave it, we have to understand a bit of the historical context in which he gave this rule. And I love this part of sermon writing. Again, preachers will tell you that a main part of the study is exposition. You're going through verse by verse in the original language. You're using commentaries. You're trying to better understand the text. But another part of that is, is the historical considerations for when the text was written and the culture around that. And that's where I, I live as a historian. And so I was very excited in my study this past week to go through some books and, and records to discover why Jesus, what he said here, why that was actually so revolutionary for his time. People have argued that the golden rule isn't unique to Jesus. And I did find a number of versions of it throughout the millennia. I'll give you several examples now. The earliest expression of this rule in the Greek comes from Homer's Odyssey. Has anybody read Homer's Odyssey? It's before my time as well. So Homer wrote that in 700 BC. That's 700 years before Christ. And in the Odyssey, there's a scene where Calypso, she's alleviating Odysseus's uh, distrust in her. And she says, I will be as careful for you as I should be for myself in the same need. I know what is fair and right, and my heart is not made of iron. I'm truly sorry for you. In the ancient Greece, in ancient Greece, it was a commonplace to to do good to your friends and to harm your enemies. That was the dichotomy. Do good to your friends, but you could harm your enemies. Similarly, Confucius, who was a Chinese philosopher in the 6th century, he wrote, do not do to others what you wish not done to yourself. Another example, in the Old Testament Apocrypha, uh, these are non-biblical uh, canonical books. They have unknown dates and authorships, authenticity, so they're not in your Bible, but they're referred to as the Old Testament Apocrypha. And there it says this, it says, do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. And then finally, and perhaps most famously, famously the Jewish rabbi Hillel, in the 20, 20 BC, he said, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, and all the rest is only commentary. So these parallels found in the, the Jewish and the pagan literature at the time, and even preceding Christ, seems to be saying exactly what he is saying here. But notice that there's a key difference. Their claims are in the negative. Do not do to others what you don't want done to you. That's a statement of, of limiting or prohibiting certain actions. For example, don't hurt others because you don't want them to hurt you. But Jesus' statement is in the positive. Do to others what you want done to you. That's a massive difference. Jesus is giving a new rule which guides and directs all of our actions towards others. He's simply not limiting what should be done as has been done before him. Or not, he's not saying what is permissible. In the golden rule, he's saying not what you can't do, but what you must do. Loving your neighbor as yourself isn't a negative limitation, but a positive rule, a higher standard indeed. It's one thing to refrain from hurting somebody. 
It's entirely another to respect and to love them as a neighbor. And I would argue that it's, it's entirely possible for anybody to, to understand this rule in its negative form. Saved, unsaved, in its negative form, everybody can understand that. Don't go around hurting people. But Christians alone are, are held to this new and higher standard. In essence, the world is saying, do not do to others what you don't want done to you. But Jesus' formulation is quite the opposite. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And like I said, I think everybody can understand this rule. Even Alexander Severus, he was a Roman, a heathen emperor in the third century. He so greatly admired this rule of Jesus's that he had it written on the walls in his closet in gold. He had the golden rule written right there. But there's a difference between understanding and living out this rule. Though it may be universal in our awareness of it, it is singularly the practice of Christian followers. Did you know that non-believers have even reinterpreted the golden rule? They put on it a bit of a postmodernistic flair, and it's informally known as the platinum rule. In it, we see that it's not about how you treat others, it's about how they want to be treated. This is the platinum rule. George Bernard Shaw, he advocated for this rule when he stated that one should not do to others as you would have them do to you because their tastes may not be the same. Karl Popper, who was a 20th century um, philosopher of science, he said the golden rule is a good standard which is further improved by doing unto others whatever reasonable as they want to be done by. And Immanuel Kant he critiqued the golden rule by arguing that it inadequately provided the space for the receiving party to dictate the means by which they wish to be treated. That's why the platinum rule is no golden rule. Because it, it, it misses the mark. It inevitably ends up approving of one's sin at the cost of Christian morals and ethics. In our day and age, you might critique the golden rule and say that because, everyone idea, because everyone's idea of love is different, to love someone the way you wish to receive love is actually bigoted. But brothers and sisters, this new high bar that Jesus is giving here as the golden rule, it's getting harder and harder to live by because the world is moving farther and farther away from it. We are in an age where, unless we define our terms, communicating this rule is near impossible. Truth has become subjective to the point where objective truth is either irrelevant or harmful. But this morning, I don't want us to get caught up in the semantics of it all. I want us to focus at the heart of Jesus' revolutionary teaching here. Matthew Henry is always helpful in explaining things or getting to the heart of the matter on an issue. And of the golden rule, he writes this, Christ came to teach us not only what we are to know and believe, but what we are to do. Not only toward God, but toward men. And not only toward those of our party or persuasion, but toward men in general, all with whom we, ha we have to do. We must do that to our neighbor, which we ourselves acknowledge to be fit and reasonable. We must, in our dealings with men, suppose ourselves in the same case and circumstances with those we have to do with, and act accordingly. 
But there are two ways, right and wrong, good and evil, the way to heaven and the way to hell. In the one or the other, all of these are walking. There is no middle place hereafter, no middle way now. So despite all the challenges and obstacles we may come across as we do to others, as we would like done to us, let's commit today to this revolutionary, Jesus-given standard, which is a golden rule meant for you and for me as Christians. The second question we want to ask of this verse, as it can be challenging, it does require some digging uh, to see what Jesus meant when he said that this rule was a summary of Old Testament teaching. And so we want to ask, how does the golden rule relate to the Old Testament? How is it revolutionary? And now how does it relate? How does it relate to the Old Testament? As we first zoom out from the verse to its wider context, it's clear that Jesus is referring to some other teaching. And we can actually see that at two levels. So we'll walk through those levels right now. Verse 12 It serves as the start of the epilogue, or the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 12 begins with the word, so. And just like the word, therefore, which we have to determine why it's therefore, with the word, so, we're asking the question, so what? What is the purpose? Actually, in some of your Bibles, the first word in this verse may be, therefore. So as a word, it generally connects a statement or a series of statements to an application. X is true, so choose Y. I'll give an example. It's like when you're... (laughs) Yeah, okay, this is a good example. It's like when you're in the grocery store and your spouse, your wife asks you, um, in my case, my wife asks me, which line should we choose to check out? And so I briefly scan them all, run the numbers, and I say... That line seems to be moving faster, so let's try that one. But your guess is as good as mine, obviously. Um, I hope I didn't have a tone there when I said that. But guys, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like when you're trying to figure out what you want for dinner. Your wife asks you what you want, and then you list like 40 wrong answers. I didn't realize it was a trick question. So... Uh, here, here so is hinting back not just to the previous thought or to the previous verse, but by way of making a summary of the whole, the previous two chapters. We're entering into a section now on the Sermon on the Mount where it contains in it the sum of what Jesus had delivered. The golden rule actually ties back to what Jesus was saying in Matthew five seventeen when he said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that's the the overarching tone of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, that's Jesus referencing the law and the prophets, but I tell you, and that's Jesus raising the bar, that's him fulfilling the Old Testament teaching. And that's what's happening here in verse 12 at this second level when he says, for this is the law and the prophets. So we need, to, we need to zoom back even further now to the Old Testament itself. This phrase, this is the law and the prophets, had been, had been implemented by Jesus a number of times as a way of describing the whole of the teaching of the Old Testament. The golden rule in itself is a summation of the law and prophets teaching on ethics. 
You can divide the Old Testament into three parts, law, prophets, and writings. Writings is the third category. That's books that are prophetic um, and poetic in nature, books like uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. But Jesus here is referring to the law and the prophets. So what law is he referring to? And what prophets, what did they say about this law? Well, to look at that, we have to go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus, um, it contains in it the elementary building blocks for the Christian faith. We did a series on that last year, actually. We looked at what Leviticus has to teach us as Christians about the law, about giving, about worship, about Jesus even. And so it seems appropriate that we turn there now as we try to better understand this rule for the Christian faith. Leviticus 19, this is verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus actually calls this principle here the second greatest commandment. He says that no other commandment is greater than to love God. That's Deuteronomy 6. Love love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the command to love one's neighbor. Where does he say that? It's in Mark 12. If you'll remember back with me in Mark 12, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're trying to to trick Jesus, to tie him up, to say something that they can use to condemn him. And so they ask him a bunch of questions. Paying taxes, what's the resurrection all about? And they ask him this one, what is the most important commandment? Surely they would catch him up here. But Jesus answered, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For there is no other greater commandment than these. So according to Jesus, the greatest commandment, which is articulated in the golden rule, the greatest commandment reveals the greatest purpose for the Christian life. To love God and to love each other. Jesus fulfills the law and prophets here by using the golden rule as a revolutionary statement to both pagan and Jewish audiences. He he takes what culture has been saying and flips it on its head by putting the rule in its positive form. And he critiques the Jewish leaders of the day who misunderstood God's law by seeking to limit this second greatest commandment. In essence, Jesus is putting the shelves into the bookcase of the Old Testament. In the golden rule, Jesus distills the essence of biblical ethics, Old Testament and new. That's how he relates it back to the Old Testament. Now, the golden rule was revolutionary, as we've seen, but I would argue that it is still revolutionary and challenging for us today. I want to spend the rest of our time by asking the very practical question, why is the golden rule so hard to live out in practice? This is the difference between exposition and application. We've exposited, we've looked at the verse, its context, but now how do we apply it? How do we live out the golden rule as Christians? How do we maintain living at such a high bar in such a fallen world? 
Loving your neighbor as yourself seems so easy, but why isn't it? There's a great Martin Lloyd-Jones quote about the golden rule that speaks to this issue when he writes, perhaps, no, I won't do the Welsh accent, okay. Perhaps hear this golden rule, uh, people hear this golden rule and they praise it as marvelous and wonderful and as a perfect summary of a great and involved subject, but, there's the but, (laughs) but the tragedy is that having praised it, they do not implement it. And after all, the law was not meant to be praised, it was meant to be practiced. Our Lord did not preach the Sermon on the Mount in order that you and I might comment upon it, but in order that we might carry it out. So, yes, it's hard to make that step from knowing the golden rule to living the golden rule. And take a step back, even knowing the Sermon on the Mount and reading the Sermon on the Mount, it's still very hard to live out those things because we all have the same issues to contend with as we try. Let me offer some suggestions as to why it's so hard to live out. First, we are inherently selfish. I'd say we can all agree on that. And I think the closest you are to people, the closer you become, the more that they know this to be true of us. The more transparency there is, you have to be your true self, if you know what I mean. And the most obvious setting for that is in the family. Your family knows that about you. I have an older sister. Uh, She's a missionary in Ireland with OM. Her and her husband have actually been there over 10 years now. And um, growing up, we were simultaneously best friends and worst enemies. Mom and dad would use the golden rule to remind us to not fight, to consider the other person. But if we were going somewhere and Anna beat me to the front seat, I would, of course, remind her that, you know, if I had gotten there first, I would give it to you. So you should probably give it to me. Because we used the golden rule to guilt trip and to shame each other so that we could get what we wanted. But Christian, that is not what the golden rule is there for. Basing our actions on things like guilt and shame was something that our old self did But we died to that old self, didn't we? Through the waters of baptism when we declared that Jesus, the golden rule giver, was now our Lord and Savior. And so we need the Holy Spirit to direct our ambitions. Christians aren't called to limitations or minimums, but to principles to abide by and strive towards. But our selfish nature, it fights us every step of the way. Jesus called his disciples to a righteousness greater than the Pharisees' adherence to the law. In the golden rule, Jesus is providing the intent rather than the letter of the law. The golden rule is the goal, not the rule book. We'll put the verse back up again, please, just because in this moment we want to notice something else. It's saying, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets do to them. Now that's in the present active imperative in the Greek. That's a mouthful. Present active imperative, do to them in the Greek, meaning that it isn't contingent on the first part. You're not waiting for them to do good to you so that you can do good to them. The golden rule isn't a utilitarian maxim. A utilitarian maxim is something like honesty pays. Though it's true, and we should be honest with one another, 
We aren't doing to others because we expect the same in return, but because the conduct is the goal of the law and the prophets. That's our conduct, the goal of the law and the prophets. But in our selfish desires, we would rather return the favor than do the good. The golden rule isn't about reacting according to how we've been treated by others, but according to how we've been treated by God. I'll say that again. The golden rule isn't about reacting, how we react to others, but it's about how we've been treated by God. Our reactions to others certainly matter, but at its heart, it's about God's actions to us. It's as if Jesus is saying, do unto others as I have done to you. We can fight our selfish desires by loving our neighbor. And that demands sacrifice. This is one of my favorite verses on love in the scriptures. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Loving your neighbor demands sacrifice. True love is sacrificial and it requires all that we are. If you're married here, you'll know that to be true. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but uh, if you know that it's true that your marriage will only survive if you love sacrificially, you know that to be true. The Apostle Paul explained that a Christian marriage is designed to communicate a message to the world. This is some free marriage advice. Max, Tatiana, make sure you're following here. Okay. Wives are called to honor and to submit to their husbands just as the church honors and submits to Christ. And husbands are to love and to serve their wives with the same self-sacrificing love that Jesus displayed when he bore our sins on that cross. And when we honor and when we serve each other, God will use your marriage to preach a sermon to the onlooking world. I want to love on my wife right now and just share the story briefly of how we got to Ireland five years ago. Five years ago, we were married, and the day after we returned from our honeymoon, we got a letter in the mail, and it was my acceptance letter into the doctoral program at Queen's in uh, Belfast. It was quite a shock. We had talked about it beforehand. This obviously wasn't a surprise to her, Um, but to be honest, the reason I had applied was so that we could see why my application was rejected. What, what further did they require? Maybe another master's degree, some publications. So we just kind of threw it out there like a feeler. So when the acceptance letter came, it made the decision very real. And um, I was, of course, very hesitant. I was very worried. Um, I was worried about the tension this could cause in our marriage. How could I ask my new wife to, to give up her family, being with her family, her friends, her job, her church? and move overseas with me. But I didn't have to ask, and I thank the Lord for that, because she was the first one to say, this is something we should do. She actually said, if we don't do it now, we probably never will. And uh, she was right. There was wisdom there. But she was willing to sacrifice all of that stuff for our marriage. She laid down her desires, her career, her goals, her family time for that journey. You get the idea of what I'm trying to say, that love is unconditional and sacrificial. And those two things, unconditional love and sacrificial love, they stand in direct opposition to selfishness. They are the antidote 
And so we need to keep our selfish wants in check by being unconditional in our love and sacrificial in how we love. Secondly, the golden rule is so hard for us to live out in practice because we have desires that do not align with Scripture. Now that answer may sound a little bit like the first, but it's meant to be more specific. Because in our first answer, we just said that we're a selfish people. But here we're getting to the heart of the matter because we struggle to know what is good and what aligns with Holy Scripture. We need to have our minds and our hearts retuned so that we can want right things for ourselves and our neighbors. The natural inclination of the heart is deceitful and prone to wander. I love that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We have natural desires that aren't good according to the Scripture. Look with me at Romans 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And I won't get into the theological discourse about total depravity or original sin. Suffice to say that we know this just by looking at our children. You don't have to teach a child to be bad. They get there all on their own. Parents, you know this to be true. Kids come pre-programmed to make your life interesting. (laughs) In this instance, the golden rule is it's there to remind you that your kid needs Jesus. That's why everything going on downstairs right now is happening. We want to teach your kids about Jesus. Because Timmy, little Timmy, little Susie, they look really sweet. But without a new heart, they will be drawn into the world and they will be lost in it. I wasn't sure if I should share this story, but I'll preface it, and then I'll share it. I'll preface it by saying, last month we had VBS here, and we loved it. We love your kids. Some of them are monsters. And (laughs) there was this one one really cute little girl, and every day she'd walk past me. She'd give me a little high five and a smile. Uh, But one day, something in her flipped, a switch flipped, I guess. I don't know how that works. But she came through the main sanctuary doors. We had these blue streamers hanging over the doors to simulate you're walking under a waterfall. How cool is that? Uh, But she decided she had to have that waterfall for herself. So she stopped at the door the one day. It was the Thursday. And she started to pull these streamers down one at a time. And I saw it right away because I was at the main doors. My job was to greet, to say hello to the parents, connect with them. So I saw it right away. So I went, went right over to her. And uh, I said, oh, oh, let's not do that, because I started to reason with her. That was my first mistake. (laughs) Aaron and I don't have kids yet, so that's why I went there. And I continued to reason with her until she'd ripped them all down, basically. (laughs) It was a little late on that. But finally, I, I, I picked her up, and I took her to the rest of her team. They were sitting up in this front row and sat there. And the whole way, as we're walking down the aisle, she's just looking at me, smiling, thinking, I got what I desired. Too bad for you. But we aren't inclined to do the good. So the golden rule is intended to keep us on track. As I said off the top, this verse is the pinnacle of Christian ethics because in it, it says, whatever you wish that others would do. Your translation might say whatever you desire for or how you wish to be treated. Regardless, what we wish for and what we desire in this life matters. Because if we aren't wishing for the right 
godly things, then this verse loses all of its power. There's a reason that this verse is located in the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon for how to live based on Christian ethics and desires. Whatever you wish is predicated on the idea that you are wishing for good things that honor Christ. Look with me at how Jesus revealed these good things, these Christian desires throughout the sermon. We'll start with the Beatitudes. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Christian's desire should be all of these things. Not perfectly, but in part. And when we are, we are blessed, as the text says. My point is this, living out the golden rule requires having Christian desires first and foremost. Only then will you not wish to harm your fellow man. Only then will you strive to fight your selfish and ungodly desires and only then will you love your neighbor as yourself. And not just your physical neighbor next door, right? It probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Your neighbor, according to this text, isn't just the guy next door. Or the family two doors down, or the people at the end of your street, or the folks across town. Discovering who your neighbor is should never start by putting limitations on the definition. Who do you think Jesus thought his neighbor was? For God so loved the world. I'm not saying that it doesn't start with your neighbor, but it means that going for the world, no matter the cost, is your job to reach your neighbor. Your neighbor is the lost. We have to understand that in Christ, our neighbor has both a physical and a spiritual reality. Your neighbor physically resides next to you in this life, but as a Christian, your primary concern is for their spiritual residence in the next. If they aren't saved, they won't be your neighbor in heaven. So make this world your neighborhood. And the bottom line is this, the golden rule won't save you, and I'm glad it doesn't, because I, I sure fail at it each and every day. The golden rule won't save you. Neither will it make you a good person. Matthew 17, there is only one good. That is God. So it won't save you. It won't make you a good person. But what it can do is make you look more like Christ. And isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what this thing called life is all about? It's the exceeding righteousness to which we were called to. And know this. If the world was full of people who sought to obey this rule, it would feel like a much different, a much better world than the one we have right now. It would be a new world indeed, a holy city whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. We are the church on a hill. Our cornerstone is Christ, and we have a mission to the lost. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, so go as the light, light to the world, and do unto others as you would have them do to you. Do to them as Christ has done for you. Let's pray and ask for help to that end. Oh, great God, Heavenly Father, we, we sure are a needy people. We sure do need you each and every day. And so we thank you that you have supplied for our need, our greatest need of all, our salvation. You provided for that because God so loved the world that he gave Christ and Christ died on that cross for the sins of the world. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the gift, the free gift of grace, that bridge, that chasm that was so wide we could never cross it. We thank you for the hope that we now have in Christ. And we pray that that hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would cause us to follow the golden rule, to live out the fact that we want to do to others as you've done to us. We want to do to others what we not expect in return, not hope in return, but we just want to do what you've commanded us to do. We want to follow in obedience and do just that, no matter how hard, no matter the obstacles, and no matter the challenges. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen.